Bibles to John chapter 1. I appreciate uh, Rick and, and everybody stepping up. Donnie and uh, Lori are on a little vacation this weekend. And uh, man, the, the, the music was still amazing. And I appreciate people that, that step up and give us great, a great time of music, especially this time of year as we sing those old familiar songs, some new ones uh, that reflect on the coming of Christ. morning we're going to read uh, the first eight verses of John chapter 1. If you're not familiar with what we're doing here, we're making our way, starting the summer, making our way, uh, you know, the summer, making our way through John, the Gospel of John. And we're in about John chapter 5, but now, uh, during this Christmas season, we've returned back to John chapter 1 and just taking a little more time of reflection in those uh, beautiful verses that open John and talk about uh, the incarnation of Christ as the Word. It's not and uh, so that's what we're talking about this morning is that Jesus, uh, we're looking at Jesus as the light. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. We'll, we'll be focusing on verses 4 through 8. Though. It says this, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Uh, sparkling lights, uh, as Jeremy and told us last week, and, uh, and we've, we've already heard about in this service, uh, about the, the beautiful uh, thing that light is. Uh, it's a useful thing. It's a thing that police officers like Jared need to do their jobs. And we just like to look at lights this time of year. Don't you like taking your family around and driving around town and just seeing the lights, uh, this Friday night, we were in town, and I had to detour because my three-year-old was letting me know very uh, passionately that from her angle, she couldn't see the Murphy Building. And so I had to make sure that we got right in front of the Murphy Building so from her child safety seat, she could look at those lights on Murphy. We love lights this time of year. Edward Johnson, my little history lesson, Edward Johnson is the creator. He's a a, a contemporary or a, a partner with uh, Thomas Edison. So soon after the creation of the light bulb came Christmas lights. Uh, they were invented in 1882 in New York City. They were first introduced as the White House Christmas tree in 1892. It was a little expensive. In our time, it would have cost $350. Uh, 
for a strand of light, so uh, we would be pretty limited uh, on our light displays that we have on our house if it was $350 for a strand. Every year it's estimated that 150 million light sets are bought every year and added to that tangled mess that's in our garage that, of the ones we bought last year. And either you, if you have children, either you put up lights or you listen to your kids ask, why don't you put up lights? Why doesn't your light, uh, your house looks like the, the neighbors lit up? But celebrating the birth of, of Christ in beautiful, with beautiful sparkling lights is, is actually pretty appropriate. With all the, the customs and, and things that have become maybe uh, a little different from what the Word says about Christ when it comes to Christmas, we, we see that celebrating life is right on with what the Scripture paints for us as a picture of what Christ is. That he is the light of men. He is the light that is invaded the darkness. So as we drive around and, and see the amazing light displays, let us remember that Jesus Christ was the light that conquered the darkness. And our purpose in life and in life is to bear witness to that light. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. First, Jesus is the light of men. In verse 4 it says, in him was life and the light was the light of men. We learned last week that the Son, Son of God did not come into being as a major, but he existed. He existed in eternity past. And not only did he exist, he created the world. He created the word uh, through, through him as the word, the world was created. And the phrase we have here, it says, in him was life. It shows us that the power of Christ in creation, it's not like he created and then he left creation. No, he is the light, right? He is the light. As Hebrew, uh, uh, as Hebrew 1, 3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds it. It's not something he created and he left. He it is upholded by the word of Christ. There is not a living creature on this planet or that has ever walked the face of this planet that does not owe its existence, that does not owe the breath in its lungs to Christ, the light. He is the sustainer, the creator and the sustainer of life. But there's a special part of God's creation that is unlike any other part of his creation, and that is man. The word goes a step further than just giving life. It says, the life was the light of men. Christ took the light of understanding, of personhood. And was that was in him, and he put that light in the heart of man. Every man, no matter how flawed, bears the image of God. Of all the life that God has created, there is something immensely different and glorious about man, and that is this: that we can know God. Folks, your dog may be great. Okay, I've got a couple myself. 
Many of you treat your dog as if it is human. But there are always moments in, in our dog, one of our dogs is getting kind of old, and our dog does things, it's like, that's definitely a dog. That's gross. My kids are always telling me what my dog did, and I'm like, it's a dog. We may treat it like a human, but it's a dog. And one thing you're never going to find your dog doing, and that is reflecting on him as a creation of the mighty God. He's not going to reflect on his God. The man has that ability. Well, you might say, well, if man is so great, then why do they oftentimes act worse than God? If we have been given this amazing life in Christ, then, then why are they? Why are there so many dark things in humanity? Why are there mass shootings? Why are there all these divorces? Why all the perversion that happens in our world? All the unloving things done? Paul actually explains this well in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18. I want to read read several verses here because it's important for us to understand what has happened to the life that, that God put in man. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So although the light has been revealed in the heart of man, what man does through his sin and through his turning away from God, his, his heart is darkened. He suppresses the truth that is obvious in creation. And therefore, as he suppresses the truth, it makes him capable of horrible, dark, ugly, sinful things. And so we ask ourselves, okay, in a world that, that is dark and sometimes feels like it's darker than it's ever been, is there any hope? And the very next verse gives us hope that truly there is something that can overcome that darkness, and that is the light of Christ. The light overcomes the darkness. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So since the fall of man, the world has been veiled in darkness, and make no mistake, the, the darkness is a powerful thing. Darkness are those things that are opposed to God or things that were not a part of his perfect creation. We, we live in a world where darkness is always intruding. 
cancer, dementia, heart issues, car wrecks come in and they take the ones we love. Adultery, addiction, anger comes in and it darkens our relationship. The world is not indifferent to us. The world attacks us. The world bites back. The world is led, the darkness of the world is led by an enemy. An enemy, a personal enemy that it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. There is probably not a moment in human history when this darkness was as clearly displayed as the moment that Christ was crucified. Has there ever been a darker moment? In fact, when, when Jesus is arrested, okay, when Jesus is arrested in the garden, this is what he said in Luke 22, verse 53, but this is your hour, the power of darkness. So this was this moment where, where Satan and the powers of evil were going to throw everything they could at Christ. That, that this hour of powerful darkness was going to descend upon the sun. Well, how did it work out for them? We're told in Colossians 2.15, it did not go well. For he, it says Christ, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, uh, over them in him. The very act of darkness that was, was meant to be the destruction of the sun. It was meant to destroy the sun and, and in a way destroy God himself. And what was intended to do that is the very thing that redeemed mankind and then brought glory to Christ in his finished work. And it, it was what brought death to death. It's what brought light to darkness. It's what destroyed the darkness. Ultimately, when evil takes its final breath, it will be a wound from a wound that it received in this that was supposed to be when darkness reigned. This is the power and glory of God that even that moment is meant to be so dark that darkness was supposed to have its way at the very moment that the light got in the the light began to shine. So I don't know what you're up against I don't know what sh shadow or shadows have fallen across your life. <coughs> Sickness in you or a loved one, perhaps a rebellious child, perhaps an empty chair that will be at the Christmas, at Christmas dinner this year, an uncertainty at your job. In the lives of the 250 to 300 that gathered here, Sunday, the darkness is, exists in our lives in countless ways. But we can say that though the darkness is strong and powerful, despite its best efforts, it cannot dim the light of Christ. 
Because in that moment when it intended to dim the light of Christ is when Christ's light shines and overcame the darkness for good. Christ told us himself to, to let that wonderful truth com comfort us in John 16.33. In the world you will have tribulation. There will be darkness. Sometimes it will seem like the darkness is winning. Sometimes even the darkness that still exists in us will seem like it's winning. But it says, take heart. I overcome the world. So take heart, Christians. The light shines in the darkness, and though the darkness has tried, it has not overcome it. And we see here also that this light is not meant to be hoarded in our own lives. It's meant to be shared with others. And we see this in the testimony of John the Baptist. In verse 6 and 8. Or 7 and 6, 7 and 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. You know, sometimes we forget that John the Baptist was an important part of Christ's arrival because he did his job so well, because he was meant to point to Christ. We, we sometimes don't realize how important Christ, uh, John's birth was. In fact, if you look in Luke, there is just as much information given about the birth of John the Baptist as there is about Christ, if not more so. And just kind of summarizing the story, the lot uh, fell on John's dad, Zechariah, who was a priest who was, uh, they drew lots to see who was going to go in to, to burn an offering, and it was Zechariah, and he goes in there, and while he's in there, he's, he's told that he's going to have a son. In fact, he's told that this son will be great before the Lord. He will, it says, he will turn many of the children to, their, to the Lord their God. So Zechariah sees this great promise that he's going to have this son and that he's going to turn many people to God. And Zechariah, he has trouble buying okay, because he's old and his wife is old and they've never been able to have kids and so they think, uh, this is, this, I just don't know that this is going to happen and because of his doubt, okay, Zechariah was actually struck with his ability to speak was taken from him until his son would be born. We see that when the angel comes to Mary to announce Christ's birth, she is told about her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant. So Mary goes to Elizabeth. And I'm sure to kind of confirm the story of what all was happening. Elizabeth tells Mary that uh, when she arrived, that the baby within her leaped with joy. Even, even before his birth, Okay, John was already pointing, saying, Christ, this is Christ. Even in the womb, he was already pointing to Christ. And we see Mary remain with John's mother, John the Baptist's mother, for three months of just, you know, two, two pregnant ladies dealing with pregnancy, encouraging one another, holding on to the promises that God had made. Two very likely, unlikely pregnant women. 
And in John's birth, Zechariah, he, he regains his ability to speak. And in that moment, he makes a prophecy. And in this prophecy, I, I see a really solid tie into our text about Christ as the light. In Luke 1, verses 76, it says this. Okay, this is, this is John's father, Zechariah, prophesying about what his son was going to do. It says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the, because of the tender mercy of, of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So in John's birth, his dad is prophesying, already saying, he's going to talk about the light. He's going to tell the people about the light. We look at John as this amazing example because he did this so well, right? And John had this vibrant ministry. We've already seen this in studying the gospel of John. This vibrant ministry, everyone was coming to him. Many people even believed that he was the Messiah because they had such a high opinion of him. And what does he do? He says, it's the Lamb of God. Go to the Lamb of God. And then when those people, you know, yes, going to the Lamb of God, and, and his ministry begins to kind of dwindle, what does he say to the disciples that are concerned? He says, I must, you know, he must increase, I've got to decrease. So John gives us this great example, and I believe that it is the calling of all of us. I think John's calling is the calling of all of us. It's very similar to our own calling. None of us are the light. None of us are the light, but we bear witness to the light. Listen to me. We all make awful saviors. None of us can do it. Parents, you can't save your kids. You can't save your spouse. You can't save your coworkers. You can't be that thing in their life that brings them salvation. But you bear witness to the thing that can. You bear witness to Christ. So your life is to be about pointing others to Christ. Look, we have an amazing opportunity this time of year. I mean, we can talk a lot about the commercialization of Christmas and how you know, people miss the meaning and all that. But y'all, it is still a miracle that in our secular society, for a month, Every year, people, some of them even just pretend to buy it. They just, you know, I can listen to Christmas music and it's people that I know are godless, and yet they're singing about the story of Christ coming. So we live in this world where everybody, for a moment, gets really sensitive that maybe there is something to this. Maybe there is something more and we as Christians are like John who has the truth. We're not the light. We're not much. There's not much to us. But we come to bear witness to the light. 
Folks, the people around you this coming year, they're more likely to come to church with you. If you invite them, they're more likely to receive a gift, a card, uh, an act of love. Your lost neighbors are more susceptible to just receive that this time of year than any other time of year. So I encourage you to think about that. To think about the advantages that happen this time of year for us to bear witness to the light. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. And I just want you, obviously in, in a few moments, we will be thanking of the Lord's Supper. And I encourage you to prepare your heart for that, to reflect on Christ's life, to reflect even on the darkness that still exists in us, even as Christians. We have darkness. We have joy knowing that that darkness is not going to overcome us. That Christ is doing his work in us. That Christ has justified us despite the darkness in us. So let's, let's prepare our hearts uh, for this moment when we will go to the Lord's table and respond to God's word however he has spoken to you through his word this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you the light. I thank you for the light that you have put in the hearts of men. God, I thank you that Christ will